I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Jen Rudolph. Jen is a 39-year-old journeyer, mother, and wife. During this conversation, we discuss why she tries to withhold judgment on other minivans, the peace she felt when her grandfather died in his sleep, and why the death of two cousins serves as a reminder to stay present. Before we talk more about Jen, I want to talk about my long-form Sunday's posts. These are my weekly reflections on medical school from uh, the first anatomy lab to now, uh, the start of fourth year. And uh, you can find those at uh, Mobility and Mindfulness Work of the Day. That's mnmwod.com and mnmwod.com. And uh, on June 24th, 2018, I published on a panic attack. This week, I reflected on my panic attack this past week. I identified the stressors that contributed to my susceptibility, expressed the physical experience of panic, and imagined how transparency about this episode might help myself and others. Then uh, more recently, I published uh, on July 1st, 2018, on a reprieve. This week, I reflect on a chance to catch my breath and enjoy a house with just my partner and Doge for a while. I recount the events of the past week and revel in the lack of clinical responsibilities as I begin to study for step two, as I mentioned earlier. So you can find all those, again, at, uh, at mnmwad.com, or if you look up uh, Physician Education on Amazon, you can buy a Kindle edition or a paperback copy, and year three is about to come out, so keep, stay on the lookout for that. So back to Jen. Jen is on a journey, the director of pre-college opportunity programs at Cornell University, a mom of three great kids, a wife to a great stay-at-home dad, an organizer of people, a systems thinker, a sister, a daughter, and a granddaughter. Before Jen dies, she wants to soak it all up, to learn as much as she can, to understand and embrace her journey, to help her kids grow their confidence, and to not worry about money. When Jen dies, she wants to ultimately realize what happens when she dies, to understand what it's all about, and to be celebrated. After Jen dies, she wants to fully embrace what comes next. In conclusion, Jen says, on death, on living, on perspective in life, look at it always and sideways and figure out what makes the most sense right in that heart center. I agree, Jen. So uh, this was a great conversation with Jen Rudolph. I had a lot of fun during it uh, she, because she's, uh, she's, you know, that in terms of like t if you sort of create little gaps or groups of people in your life uh she's seems like she's in that like group ahead of me uh she's already ha she has a bunch of kids they're they're growing they're they're learning and they're experiencing life and uh uh you know my partner and I we have a baby in the oven and uh it's it's interesting she I I admire Jen in the way that she interacts with the world and especially in the way that she talks about her kids and the just she just seems like a, a cool mom and I wanted to talk to, sit down with or talk with her about uh, what it's like to be a mother, to uh, to to work, and to just go through life. And um, it was a really great conversation. And uh, I think you can hear in the way that she talks about raising her kids. Uh, I think she mentions uh, that she tries to be strict in the way that she the they 
they care for each other and that they interact with other people, but they're very loose and everything else, and they have lots of dance parties. Uh, so I think that's something to really admire um, is, is that we, you know, we're compassionate to other humans and we get to do whatever wacky stuff we want as long as we are still compassionate. I think that's a really great uh, thing. And we talk about, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the minivan, like why uh, she she used to think about uh, see other parents see their minivans and be oh that is a shit show. And uh, then she had kids had. Had a, a couple kids had a minivan, and then it turned into a shit show. And just how uh, we we all have our different muck, we all have our different challenges, and uh, you know, trying not to judge people as when you don't know if you're looking at their muck or if they're you're looking at their best. Uh, so it's just trying trying to stay present in that way. And uh, I think that the conversation that we have about the death of her grandfather and the death of the two. Uh, uh, young cousins uh, are really great things that we dig into uh, towards the end of the conversation. And also, we have a, uh, a really fun dog interruption, uh, dog-cat almost fighting uh, on my side of the conversation. And so you'll hear that towards the end, but uh, don't, don't worry too much about that. And so uh, I hope that you're ready for a really great conversation uh, with Jen Rudolph on death. It is April 24th, 2018, and I'm, I'm sitting here in my Coopersburg home, and I'm sitting here with Jen Rudolph, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts, and she's, oh, and she's sitting in her Van Netten, New York home, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Jen, what are the four prompts? The four prompts are I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt? I am. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I am. Uh, I am on a journey. I think is the way I would finish that prompt. Um, I could give myself a number of labels or identities that I've grown into, um, but I think when I reduce it down to to what I am, I come to this notion that I'm on a journey in all of those identities and who I am as a human. And who I am as a soul in this life, um, I'm on a journey to know and understand that more mm. and what that means and what I'm capable of and and how I'm capable of it. So uh, I think that's quite about. where did this journey start? Mm. I mean, I think for all of us, it starts at birth. I think I sort of. I think there's a difference between being on a journey and like knowing that you're moving through a journey. I, I think I started realizing the journey that I was on and conceptualizing it differently probably about a year ago when I did some more um, self-reflective inner spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. uh, and it really kind of tuned me into the notion that, you know, we're all, we're all walking through this life with, you know, understandings from the last and the last and the last and the one before and the one before. Um, and then with wisdom that we can gain that will inform our next and how we choose, if we choose to come back, you know, what, what we'll bring with us, I think is rooted in what we do here. So I think with that understanding, it's been pretty powerful to sort of conceptualize situations and experiences and and learnings on a continuum sort of like not just from this life like this answer that I'm getting now could be something I learned from before or it could be something that I need for the future 
mm-hmm. being in this life or the next one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, because uh, mm-hmm. when you when you sort of place uh, your if, when you when you have only like your first memory to now as your whole continuum of like what is important, it's a very narrow window, and like puberty is right. a lot of it, and it's terrible, and. when I I like to think of uh like at least like for the past like several generations of my family like my dad my grandparents grew up in like a very rural Korea and then the whole country was basically destroyed by the Korean War and my dad uh grew up in astounding poverty in the Korean War in the wake of the Korean War like while everything's destroyed and um and then he comes to this country, or he, he meets my mom, they come to this country, and then they have me, and I get to be the first doctor in the family. And it's like, when I look around at my fellow students, I'll be like, oh, it's no big deal that I'm going to medical school. It's like, whatever, because like, I see all these fellow, like, these kids who are like children of doctors who are children of doctors uh, versus me. I'm like, yeah. taking into perspective, like how far my family has come in such a short time uh, really humbles me and sort of makes me feel like I am like basically like a little like flower blossom on the end of a very long tree. Yeah. 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 Totally. <laughs> totally. Totally. No, I, I can, I can, uh, I can hear that. I can resonate with it in a way. Um, you know, I think of it, the way I think of it is, is, and and then who were your grandparents, 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 mm-hmm. right? Like where did they come from and how did they build their lives and how did they grow their family to where now you are a product of that and able to live this life. And, and I think in my, you know, last couple of, of years, in my last year and, and really kind of getting down to the, innards of where I rest in some of these answers it's like you know this path that that all our souls have been on are contributing to like now you're this little flower blooming right so (laughs) in your own maybe if this is how you believe and some people don't but in your own like journey of souls and spirits you know that that trunk and that branch and that little you know littler branch and littler twig that now is blooming a flower Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of wisdom there too that I think we bring we have the potential to bring through with us. Mm-hmm. Did you have a religious or spiritual upbringing to your childhood? I did. I grew up um, uh, United Methodist, United Third Methodist Church in mm-hmm. Sotus, New York. Um, I grew up there. I was baptized, maybe Presbyterian, if I remember correctly, um, Syracuse, maybe. And then I, you know, I remember going to church every Sunday. I remember in my teenage years, you know, faking through the alarm on Sunday and, oh, I didn't hear it. I don't want to go to church. Um, <laughs> but there were fun times to church too, especially when we were littler and the, you know, Sunday schools that we'd go to. I had a lot of kids, a lot of my parents, you know, friends and acquaintances and kids I went to school with. We were lived, I grew up in a really small town. And so, um, so it was a, a vibrant church community for a lot of years. And then uh we you know did the whole confirmation thing and it was sort of what you did and there wasn't a whole lot of questioning to it you know we said grace at dinner every night and Mm -hmm. you know both sets of my grandparents were rather religious um and then I went off to college and so well we went through this transition and and I guess this is a story that's worth sharing because it really shaped my I guess my exit from a more organized religion. Um, we had a fantastic pastor growing up and he was just 
you know, the guy that was always there and he was probably there, you know, 13, 14 years. And he had a great congregation, a lot of, you know, healthy followers and a vibrant church atmosphere. And then he left and we were given this pastor, you know, the church assigns the, the people that are going to come to you. And we were given one, or I don't know, maybe he chose our church. I'm not sure really how it works, but, um, and he was all like doom and gloom and you have to give all this money and, you know, hellfire is going to come down on you. And it was just mm-hmm. a very stark left turn from, from where our church had been and what we had sort of fundamentally understood what I'd understood as like, you know, spirituality and, and religion and in my upbringing. And so I distanced myself a bit from that. And, and again, then that was the teenage years. And so there's that whole, what did you reference? Like puberty was horrible. <laughs> there's a whole, you know, rebellious side of that. Um, but then I went to college and, and we got a new pastor to the church. And so I'd go home and he was bringing back the life of the church and there was youth groups again, and there was singing again. And my mm-hmm. folks were in this like praise worship band. They were super happy about it. And then this dude went and had an affair with some woman in our church. And I was like, what is going on? And so at that point, I really, you know, I, I was 10 hours away at college. I went to Indiana University and I was just sort of done with it. I was like, let me step back and really kind of look at this. And I, you know, kind of threw my arms up at it for a while. And then I met a glorious woman there who, um, I, I babysat her kids a little bit. I worked for her at the university and I babysat her kids sometimes. And she took me to church and they went to a, uh, United Methodist Church in Bloomington. Um, but it was the first time I'd been to an all black or all African American church. Mm. And it was amazing. I mean, I just, it like hit a chord in me that I'd never felt before in terms <laughs> of my spirituality. I remember like crying in one of the songs and just like overwhelmed with emotion mm-hmm. and feeling really weird that I was overwhelmed with emotion um, at that weird, awkward early 20s age. Um, <laughs> But that was where I realized that like there's elements of spirituality and, and religion that are okay and that I can I can still believe in. And then I think for a really long time I was just sort of curious and like reading little books and like understanding little things about different religions and sort of putting together my own. You know, I believe in reincarnation. Like I believe in this. I believe in that. And you know, trying to figure out. You know, like, I believe Jesus was a good guy, but I don't think he did all those things that people said he did in the ways that he said, or you know that we should fear these other parts of humanity and things. So, mm-hmm. um, so I started like putting it all together, and and like a reference, I sort of had like a a spiritual come up in, or like a a visit to a spiritual chiropractor where some things just sort of clicked in and made a lot of sense to me, and that really started my a deeper reflection on like sort of this racial memory and like, you know, lives of knowledge and what it means for like the continuing life of knowledge that, that I'll move into when I get to your fourth prompt, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I resonate really strongly with your experience, like at a, like all black church. I re I went, uh, to, um, I, there was a previous interviewee, Ali Musa Jaffer, and he's a very intelligent, very well-read uh, Muslim. Um, and he brought me to a worship service, um, a Friday worship uh, at USF uh, at the student center. And I remember, because um, I, I had gone to Egypt um, and I had, but I never gone to uh, the, the prayer services there. Um, and so when he brought me there, it was one of the first times I was actually really in it. And the, the, when it was everybody kind of like standing up, sitting down, 
bowing their head all together at once in this way that was just like, oh, and then there are thousands and millions of other Muslims doing this right now at the same time. It was just like, it really, and I started tearing up. And then like afterwards, he was like, are you all right? And I was like, I think so. <laughs> but it was just, it hit something in me that was just like, oh, this, there's something here about this. Like, I don't know. I can't, I could, yeah. can't really put it into great words, but there's, there, yeah, that, those aspects of spirituality that exist within religion. And I know that a lot of the, like the black Christian community does a really, they, they take, they have their own twist on it. That is a very, that has, that yeah. has that, those African roots that are really amazing. I totally agree. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. So you are on a journey. What else? Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of titles, right? Like I'm the director of pre-college opportunity programs um, at Cornell University. I run three different outreach grants that work with local youth, you know, seventh through 12th grade. I oversee another one that works with 500 kids, but it's third through eighth grade in some really um, small and, and rural impoverished communities. Um and then I get to work with college students that, and other professionals, but college students that want to learn how to do this work. And so I get to work with like, you know, 10 year olds through 22 year olds and helping them understand themselves and, you know, why education is important, but then the way the world works and how they're meant to work in the world or, or arrive in the world. So, um, it's a pretty interesting, it's a pretty interesting role because it, there's like a, you know, specific missions and charges and things that they must learn, you know, throughout your time. But then the way you do that is for, for us, for the way that we do it is through relationships and through understanding yourself and building, building your own self-identity and understanding what identity is. Right. So mm-hmm. um, probably a lot of these things that I didn't even understand until I was in my late twenties or early thirties, like no teenagers actually now like these kids are the ones that need to understand some of this or start questioning some of these things and understand that they can question some of these things so that they can you know sooner than maybe a lot of us in life figure out what they're called to do or or what they're passionate about and how they can live that passion Mm. um so that's one of my titles and one of my roles i'm the mom we've been talking about it but i'm the mom of three great kids you know, I'm a wife to an amazing stay-at-home husband who's facilitating our home and family and an attempt at farming here. I'm a pig <laughs> farmer on top of being a mom. We have some heritage breed Mangalitsa pigs. I'm a pig mom. <laughs> We're going to have our first, hopefully two litters here in the next month or so. So there's that. Um you know, I'm, I'm an organizer of people. Like I love bringing people together. I like making connections. Um, I'm a systems thinker, you know, I can put a lot of different titles on, on that, but I'm, you know, I'm also my values, right? Like I value love and I value relationships. I value ethic. I feel like I have a internal ethic that guides me pretty strongly. And, um, it's hard to, to define who you are. Cause I think we always want to say like, Oh, I'm a teacher. I'm a mom. I'm an educator. I'm a professional. I'm a this. Um, but I think we're a lot more than that. Like I think we're, we are our values, right? We are our sort of mission in life. And I don't know, um, as you will find out soon to be pa daddy, uh, there's something about having children that's like now 
I'm responsible for ensuring that at least these three children, if not the hundreds of other children that I've chosen to work with in my profession, mm-hmm. have some understanding of the beauty they can bring to this world and how they can how they can best shine in it, right? And that mm-hmm. they too are on a journey and not that it's mine to tell them, you know, or force on them what I believe their journey is or should be or or the concept of the journey even, but just helping them understand, you know, that there's there's ways to think out there and they can challenge the ways they think and and investigate their own patterns and figure out what they believe in. Mm. It's a huge responsibility and an amazing gift at the same time. So. How has yeah. um, your work affected the way you parent and the your role as a mother affected your interaction with the, the multitudes of youth that you work with? Definitely a lot, both ways. Um, you know, I've worked with kids for, since I was out of college. So, you know, my early 20s, I started working with kids. And I think I think it was a way for me to really dig into, you know, reflecting on my own parents and how, how I was raised and how I then wanted to be. Like, oh, I wanted to take these things that I learned from my parents and do this differently or do this the same or do this better, maybe. Um, and I think the same thing happens when you have your own kids. It's like, oh, I've, you know, I saw this parent do this one time or this one parent said this one time. Like you're constantly <laughs> sort of cataloging these different things that you you see or you wish. Um, and then it's, I, I don't know, more than influencing the way that I parent, I think it's just humbled me as a person. I think you have this understanding and of what things are going to be like when you're a parent or, <laughs> you know, here's a, here's a great example of my friend. So, so, you know, we moved to Ithaca, we erupt into this beautiful community of people. And, and my one dear friend is a, is a midwife. She's got four kids of her own. At this point she had three kids maybe. And I had two maybe, and we were just like, you know, we had a truck, we had a car, she has this minivan and I was putting something in a minivan. We're all down to the park and I was putting something in a minivan. I was like, gosh, Melanie, like your van is always just a shithole. Like there's so much just like stuff in here <laughs> and dirty kid socks and snacks and trash, like Cheerios everywhere. I'm like, wow. Like Isaiah, my husband, I would never let one of our cars get this way. Like I could never like operate in a car like this <laughs> and fast forward to like, Five years later, like I have a minivan. It is a shit show in there. There's like old Cheerios. There's like orange peels everywhere. Like it is literally just a function of being a parent. Like your minivan that you will eventually get if you have enough kids <laughs> just turns into a shit show. And it's so it's you know, it's this humbling experience more than it is uh I mean, there's definitely things that have informed the work um that I do and then the way that I parent, but I think more than anything, I've been humbled by the things that I would think a parent, think of a parent or of a kid. And then I'd go through the situation with my own and be like, oh, right. Like this is, this is maybe a different side of the story. And so I've learned for sure to, to watch how I tell stories in my head, right? Like you see a situation and you make a narrative of it. And and this is, this is now the truth, right? You've just created the truth of the story, not knowing half of the story or the people in it or their true intentions or anything to the like. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because the same thing can happen as a parent, I think, is you, you form these assumptions and then you're like, oh, wow, this is really how it is. But mm-hmm. um, I definitely, 
you know, I, I work with a lot of students that come from some fantastic families um, that do a whole lot for their kids. And I work with a lot of students that come from some really challenging families. And I think I'm super conscious of that when I'm, when I'm working with them and, you know, coming from a, a great, you know, little nuclear family that we have. And, um, you know, my parents got divorced when I was older, I was 22 or so. Um, so I, you know, there's some things that I can relate to the things that they're going through some of them, but, um, especially with the kids, I think, you know, that, that mom gene kind of kicks in and it's like this fourth sense of like understanding your gut and like having this feeling about something that's happening with the kid and then being able to write, ask the right couple of questions and yeah. really kind of dig in. And I'm not saying the people that aren't moms can't do that as well, but I think there's something about that. There's like some sort of intuition that's heightened or something, at least it was for me. Um, that helps me be a little bit more effective with kids. And I think, you know, the other real part of it is, uh, uh, is my relationships with their parents, right? So the parents and educators that we work with, because I'm also a parent then that you can kind of understand versus someone that doesn't have kids. Like I think parents can sometimes look at you and be like, Oh, you don't have kids. So you don't know. And it's like, well, even before I had kids, like I've worked with hundreds of kids. And so I know teenagers decently well, but there is something a little different about having children and, mm-hmm. and knowing it firsthand. And, you know, having brought them up from infancy and now seeing them, you know, mine's oldest is seven, but having seen these kids as teenagers, you know, that we're working with, it's like different. It's a different way to look at it. So I don't know if that fully answers your question, but for sure, there's a lot that goes back and forth with it. <laughs> yeah. Cause uh, like one thing that was just popping through my head is like, uh, like it's very easy to elevate yourself when you see somebody not at their best and you rarely see parents at their best <laughs> you know like you rarely see those like right. ideal parenting moments you usually see them at when they're frazzled and at their worst and that's when their kid makes a scene and uh one thing for me that has helped me tremendously uh like in my like soon to be fatherhood is like going through the pediatric clinic going through the labor and delivery floor and seeing, oh, nobody has their shit together. Everybody's figuring <laughs> out how to go and desperately trying to make it work. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this, oh. well, this is what your shit looks like. This is what having your shit together looks like at this stage, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a different frame of, <laughs> mm-hmm. of what it is. Exactly. And it was just like, oh, okay. If nobody has their stuff together, then I guess I have my stuff together because everybody, you know, like we're all in the same muck. And uh, that was very, oh, "Oh, okay. So there's, you know, versus like, you know, if you, if you were to give parenting advice as a non-parent, it's just like, you don't have that like idea of like the muck really is. Um, Exactly. That's very fascinating to me. Exactly. Well, and then, you know, the other thing that you learn as you have a couple of kids or, or you have friends, you know, different friends that have kids is that everybody's muck is different right Mm -hmm. what is something that some person is very strong in another person will really struggle in um but it's about just i don't know for us it's about embracing it and trying to find the happiness in it because if you focus on the struggle because it can be a complete (laughs) struggle at all times if you're only focused on the struggle then you're just really not enjoying these years right like years absolutely fly by i remember we had Karen, our son and people like oh my gosh it goes by so fast i'm like this thing is still an infant like it's still crying all time is pooping like this thing is still can't do anything it's just a little baby like this is not going by fast and then like, <laughs> you blink and all of a sudden he's four and then you blink and now he's seven and just like hilarious you know it's just 
you know, they're right. And, but sometimes it takes a minute for the advice to like kick in and get to you, or it's like applies to a different scenario than they originally intended it, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but my infant stage, I thought it took forever. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So you are, um, you're on a journey, you're a director of something that I forget the exact title. You are a, a <laughs> mother, you're a, a, a spouse. Um, what else is on that list? Or is that a pretty good list for you? It's a good list. I mean, I'm a, I'm definitely, uh, I'm a sister. I have a great uh, little brother. I'm a daughter, you know, I'm a granddaughter. Um, I'm a sister to a ton of really awesome women here. I have a great group of girls and guy friends. We have a really strong community and network um, that I really value. I think that's a pretty good list. You want to start talking about uh, before you die? Before I die. I don't know. I want to soak it all up. Before I die, I want to learn as much as I can or like, dig into as many of these identities and journeys like sub journeys on my bigger journey as possible i don't really have a bucket list um in that sense which is sort of where i think my brain automatically went when i read the prompt i was like oh man like what are the things i want to do i gotta have a bucket list (laughs) but when i really took the time to resonate with a question you know having having that first answer you know i am i am on a journey and i I think before I die, I want to really understand that I've fully embraced that journey and that I'm, you know, digging as deep into my heart center as possible to be able to inform that journey. Um, I think I have a, an understanding of like digging into other people's heart centers too, you know, really trying to find the good in everyone and, and find where their heart hums in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think to be able to like help my kids do that before I die would be really important, you know, to help them grow their confidence um, is super important to me. But, you know, if I'm wiped off the face of the earth tomorrow, like I feel like, you know, even at, you know, seven, five and two, like I'm, I'm working in age appropriate ways rather, but, but ways to, to give that to them now. So I think, I think it's living in that way, right? Like living fully, living presently and, really taking things in stride but with the goal of of understanding the depth that they can bring not just to myself but to those that like have a a ripple effect impact on my world and the world of those that I work for and care for and and love Mm. does that make sense it does I want to know though what is um what is like the next level or like what is like a full embracing embrace like embrace of the journey that you're on like what what will that look like how will it differ from what differ from what you're currently doing uh what practices or like what 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 makes it different like what what's that like next notch that you want to have before you die ah that's a really great way to frame it i think so my initial reaction without like spending three days thinking about that quick answer. <laughs> so I might call you back in a few days and answer differently. But um, I think it would be, I would think it would become more integration, right? So like there's times where I'm super in tune with my emotions and where, like, like I said, where my heart center is and where I'm focused, you know, with, with those emotions and how I want to, you know, receive and give emotion in that way. 
And then there's times where I'm super focused on like my physical health and this is what I need to do to eat better and to exercise more and to take care of, you know, meet these physical goals that I might have. And then there's like career journey and, you know, path to, you know, what am I doing in a career and something that I'm pretty passionate and driven about doing um, and how does that then relate to my family passions and, and the trajectory that we're on and things that we want to grow here in our little homestead and stuff. So I think there is a, a, a notch or a, is a fork in this journey where a lot of those things become more seamlessly integrated and it doesn't take, you know, distinct effort, right? So now it's like, okay, today I'm going to really focus on like, getting in a workout, eating really healthy. But tomorrow it's like, gosh, I have to take care of, you know, 18 things at work and and the other stuff falls to the wayside. And then, wow, it's day three and I better really focus on my family today. And (laughs) so I think part of it is just sort of the growing pains of where the different like spheres of my world are in like the Venn diagram of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think as the journey continues, I would see that, kind of more seamlessly integrating right so i i don't want to work in a chaotic scene for the rest of my life like i'm i'm excited to build programs and infrastructure and systems that that run and take care of themselves so that i can like help those systems run while also then you know dabbling in the other things in my life that i want to be able to spend time in and hone in on so Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's what the next level looks like for me is like a more fully integrated in all of the spheres and all the worlds. Mm, okay, all right, I can dig it. That makes sense. I, I, there's a part of me that's like, is that uh, is that like almost idealizing what uh, like is is that even like an ideal thing to to strive for, where everything's kind of uh, more perfectly balanced or is is the like wackiness and like in like the minor imbalances but overall a balance you know like if on monday you're really good with the kids on tuesday you're really good with the you know your physical uh, movement and you know what i mean like is that part mm-hmm. of it or is or is it or are you supposed to like perfectly divide a day um and i don't know i mean i i really i try to look at it more like a harmony right mm-hmm. i think uh, you know, I, well, I think a lot of people use the word balance and it indicates like, you know, a scale where one side's up, one side's down and you mm-hmm. have a sort of binary look at, at the way that it goes. And I think when you think about, you know, a really beautiful, like, you know, song that has four part harmony, I, I love old bluegrass music, right? And some of the old <laughs> harmonies that, that come through and some of that, you know, old timey bluegrass are just incredible. And that, that to me is, is more, you know, everything can sound really great together when one part's stronger and one part's, you know, playing a a subordinate, you know, note to it. Um, but it can sound really beautiful. And I think that's that's maybe more it for me is like finding that harmony where it's not so uh, left turn, right turn, you know, like, oh, I got to do this. Oh, wait, I got to do that. Stop doing that. I got to do this. Like there's a way, I think, I hope. <laughs> and it all comes a little bit more naturally. It might just be when my kids like grow up and I'm not worth changing diapers. Like I don't know. <laughs> it's be really logical. When the two year old's body trained, that might happen. But mm-hmm. um <laughs> Yeah, I mean from where I'm at now, but but I, I think that's the thing about being I don't know, just being in tune with like the process that you're in is that 
it'll change. Like if we talk in a year, like I've, you know, maybe I learned other things or I'm understanding a different point of where I'm at and, and I feel differently about half things I'm saying, but I think that's the beauty of, I don't know, being open to that growth and being open to, yeah, the path that you're on and what this life leads to in the next one, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly why uh, one of the first things I say for each interview is the date. So, you know, like temporally, when did this happen? And uh, it's oh, yeah. and like, this is more of a snapshot than it is a comprehensive picture of a person. Oh. Mm-hmm. So uh, you want to embrace your journey further before you die. Uh, what else do you want? I de- like I definitely a, a big part of that for me is is growing my kids to understand themselves. Mm. I really I want my kids to understand who they are and how they bring value to this world, what they're capable of, you know, what their inner light, inner power, you know, is calling them to do. I think that that's super important to me. How um for for the you know because there's a pretty decent age range um like mm-hmm. what what like what what's the what's the like the dance between uh identifying their personalities and like trying to foster things versus letting them decide for themselves and kind of like do their own wacky thing i mean wackiness is totally embraced and allowed at all times uh, <laughs> it we really kind of have an open approach to it. I think where we get sort of rigid is it's how we take care of each other and how we talk to each other, you know, how we care for others. Um, if we see our kids, you know, making up a story or making up a, a reality about something or about someone, you know, we try to help them see around that or, or look at things in different ways, you know, give them different perspectives, not, not as a right or wrong, but just to help them understand that there are different perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, with the with when they're so young, when they're so little, I I feel like our job is just to teach them love and caring and and joy. You know that their emotions are okay, the way they're feeling. You know when you you do the you know brain development, where's your brain? Like understanding things at which point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty powerful way to to help kids sort of like, Oh, you, you actually can't understand delayed gratification at this age. Like you can't <laughs> wait for this because that part of your brain actually hasn't developed yet. So, you know, how do we create something if you have to wait, you know, if that's the scenario right now where we have to wait, like how do you create something that's, that's age appropriate to that scenario? And I'm not saying I have any of these answers. I'm just saying like, it's things that you think about like, okay, let's be gentle as you're learning. Um, but really learn love and, and learn what caring means. It was really important to me, to us, to help our kids understand the concept of family. Um, I, I love my, my parents and my brother very much, but I don't, I didn't feel this like sense of family. Like I did, you know, going to my best friend's house when I was a kid and they were all, you know, they were always eating a big meal together and they were always, always laughing and mm. having a great time. And I remember like, Oh yeah, this is the kind of family I want to have. And, it's not that we didn't have good times. I just don't think it was the same sort of family vibe that, that my friend's family had. And so it was something that was important to me to then cultivate in my, in my kids and to our kids is to have, 
have that sense of family. You know, family is important and we're here for each other and this is how we support each other and this is how we have fun together. We have a dance party at our house probably three nights a week, you know, like we we get down, like it's a good time. <laughs> so the wackiness is totally, totally acceptable and you know, we embrace their humor, we let them be creative, we try to, you know, put the right resources in front of them to realize the things that they want to do and create and understand. Um yeah, it's there's no magic. There's no, well, there is some magic to it. I haven't figured it out yet, but it's just like the best you can at any moment. And then you have these moments where you're like, oh, I should like actually talk to you about this in a different way, you know. And so, especially now with the seven year old and the five year old, my daughter too, she's pretty emotionally in tune, um, and she can talk about things in ways that just kind of blow your mind. And you're like, okay, like, wow, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's listening and just as much as it is like trying to teach them, it's listening to and, you know, hearing how they understand things or don't understand things at this age. And then figuring out what we socially construct for them. And should we still socially construct it in this day and age, or should we allow them to understand it differently? And it's an interesting time to be a parent. That is for sure. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of like, global experiments happening right now and we do not know what variables with necessarily yeah yeah for sure for sure for sure (laughs) do you do you know how like do you you have like an idea of like you know at least for the five or the seven-year-old like the path that they might be going towards or um like, do you, do you already have a sense of like where they're going or is it still like, they're still the squishy egg yolks? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, no, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I could see my daughter's name up in lights just cause she loves to like, like she'll go and stand on the deck and sing at the top of her voice. And she's just like, she has this element to her that's a performer, but then there's this other side to her that she's like totally shy in a crowd um and my son is incredibly athletically inclined uh like ridiculously coordinated and and quick on his feet and just really agile and and loves movement and and doing things but then we're watching like lost in space and he's talking about you know being an astronaut or developing you know a a spaceship but he doesn't want to fly it in space he only wants to fly it on the earth so in case it crashes he can parachute down and like still be alive like there's all these (laughs) these pieces i think you start to see more about their like yeah i see more like my son this the oldest the seven-year-old is very um he's a rule follower rules are very important to him the natural order of things the way things should be the way they they're meant to be um is very it means a lot to him right so you know somehow in his life he'll embrace like the law and order and the like don't break the rules don't break the law don't don't do these things you know because that's this is the rules or this is the truth and, and he's very fundamentally like he's right there you know my daughter is a like i said she's really She's emotionally intelligent in a way that it, it brings me awe in a, in a lot of instances. Um, and so I, I think it's more like that. Like, I don't think I, I see them on a specific career path or, you know, PhD path, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but I definitely see pieces of, of them that 
it's like that that thing that you need to do as a parent is like write down like write letters to your kids you know I see this in you at this age and I have a lot of those composed in my mind it should be something that I take the time to do but um it's really been fascinating watching them kind of develop into themselves and seeing little glimpses of it all the way and that just keeps growing in them you know mm-hmm. and then the two-year-old even you can tell like he's Oh, he's a, he's a prankster. He's a jokester. He's a little love bug. Like he wants everybody to like get along. Isaiah and I were having a, um, a passionate conversation. We weren't arguing or anything, but we were just like heated talking about a subject together. And Judah comes in the room and he's like, just everybody chill out. Like two-year-olds, everybody chill out. Daddy, it's okay. Chill out. Mommy, just chill out and be happy. Like he just knows, you know, and he's that kid that we just stopped and laughed. Oh God, we laughed and melted. And it was just like, yeah, of course. Like you don't know that we're just talking about politics that we're not talking about, you know, anything to do with us. So mm-hmm. yeah, more like that, more characteristics, I think, than, than who they'll ultimately become. But wow, I can't wait to find out too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like just a little peek, like in a in two decades, I just like a little peek, just like what what are they doing? Who knows? Oh yeah, oh yeah, it'd be awesome. And like, what kind of cars are we flying by then? Like, that's the other thing that trips me out. It's like, I think about my grandparents, who you know, in some version, were like seeing from horse and buggy really go to like the automatic car. And what are what are our kids going to see? What are our grandkids going to see? Like that, mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. bugs me out. <laughs> um well is there anything else that you want before you die mm, i mean i would i want to not worry about money but i think that that'll come too <laughs> i think that's just a product of being on a single income and you know living in the days and times that we do but we don't have to talk about that one very much that one's just uh it'll happen when it happens kind of thing Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fair so how do you finish the next prompt when i die i want when i die i want oh man i want to like it's like do we really get to like fly over the earth and like check everything out as a spirit and like look at everything when we're up there or do we just go like go straight to the light like i'm not sure what happens when i die i want to ultimately realize what happens when i die like i'm excited about that um when my grandfather died and it's been about five or six years ago he was 91 and he had lived this amazing life and aside from not being able to see very well he could still tell you the stories of how he was a bootlegger during world war ii and like <laughs> rode motorcycles through you know different countries with you know cartons of booze for the officer's tent uh, you know on the back of his his motorcycle like he just has these crazy crazy stories he would send rolls of cash back to my grandmother in syracuse new york that he would get from these people because he would do all this like whiskey running i don't know it's, it was amazing to listen to his stories but anyway he was 91 and everyone was so sad when he he passed away in his sleep he had a heart attack and died in his sleep and everyone was so sad and i, I just i was so happy because his kidneys had started to fail and they were talking about kidney dialysis. And they were talking about, you know, lung this and blood this. And it was just like, no, 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 wait, like it's all this stuff is happening at 91. Like your body is just saying it is time and what a beautiful life he has had. And we've celebrated and we've grown all together. And he saw a great grandchild brought into the world. Like there are so many beautiful things about it. And it really sort of 
I started my like journey of understanding death differently. And since then, I think I've just kind of kept up with it, that it's not, I mean, it's not, it's not culturally in our culture appropriate to say like death is exciting, but I really do see it as like this next step in a journey of like excitement. Like there's something else to come and, and we don't know what that is. And, and I don't believe that it's just over. Now I know that it's sad for the people that are here and that you don't get to enjoy that person anymore. But when I die, I want to, understand what it's all about i'm excited about that (laughs) but i also want my family to understand how i view death and so so in the hopes that they wouldn't be too sad right that they would Mm -hmm. also embrace the fact that you know we'll see each other again someday somehow and i don't know i want to be celebrated i think i want folks to enjoy enjoy the day and enjoy the memories and eat good food and drink good wine and <laughs> take long naps, you know, have a perfect day. Mm. Celebration. Bury me in the dirt. I want to be able to, or burn me up, spread me around, however it goes. <laughs> but somehow, you know, take that physical body and put it, put it back to the earth somehow. Mm. Yeah. The, uh, the, that story about your grandfather, it's, um, I, I have one about like a uh, like an old Korean fellow that used to work on my car a lot that my dad knew through the Korean community and um, yeah and he just he, he was like in his late seventies got pneumonia and died within a week and he was working and he was like wow. working on cars and it was just this beautiful for me it was so beautiful because it was like this dude just loved working on cars I don't know if he like really loved it or just like loved working but he just, you know, he was doing that until basically he died and uh what like what a better way for him to go than like having a stroke and you know losing right losing the ability to talk and to to take care of himself or to work and and uh you know a lot of people are Clydesdales and they just you know, if they stop moving, they're going to die. And, um, yeah, like that, like that. Yeah. I think like being able to go out with a heart attack in your sleep is like, that's pretty great. Cause no like, ideal, compared, right. Yeah. That's compared to what can happen, like seeing, seeing in the hospital, like what can happen when it's like life yeah. is the number one priority. It can get pretty weird, pretty fast. Yeah. No, I don't, I, I mean, I, clearly I have no, no knowledge of it of what's to come or how how I'll meet my end but I can't imagine a really long prolonged illness or sickness I just I feel like that would be so challenging um especially you know especially when there's the hope to live right like that when I think that's where you know part of that piece comes into play is that when there's a hope for a cure and, and maybe you are in your seventies, right. And and you could have 20 more great years. Like you want to hold on to that and see your kids grow 20 more years or your grandkids or however it is. And so there's that, there's that place. And again, this is probably one of those, those ignorant moments where I'm like, wow, your van looks like a shithole. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm going to be so ready to die. And then I'm going to be like, no, what am I doing? Like I'm 79. Like, I don't want, I'm not ready to go yet. You know, like I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, I feel like I'll be ready and then I'll be ready to embrace it. I, I, I would imagine it all depends on when that happens. Like if it's in five years from now, I'm going to be fucking pissed. <laughs> but if it's like, you know, 40 great years from now, 50 great years from now, like cool like i'm good 
Mm. Yeah, five uh, years, I'm I'm mad about it for sure. (laughs) Flipping the bird as you go around the world. (laughs) I'm so fucking mad. I'm mad about it. (laughs) What, um, um, you know, in in your grandfather included, are there uh, deaths that have uh, affected you greatly and informed whether what what aspect how you want to die, whether positively or negatively? Um, I mean, I, my, both my grandmothers struggled with different types of cancer for many, many years. Um, and I was younger with both of them. Like my, my first grandmother died. I was still, I wasn't even really maybe in high school yet. Maybe I was 13 or 14. And my dad's mom passed away when I was in college, like 20 something, 22, 23, maybe. No, I was just after college. Maybe it was 23. Um, and my grandfather, you know, I lived everyone to, to 91. My dad's dad struggled with some, some mental illness towards the end. He was a farmer for his whole life and first-generation American from Poland and um, just a super proud man. So when he, his body physically started breaking down and he couldn't do the work that he used to do, it took a big toll on him emotionally and mentally. And so that was a tough, was tough to watch my dad go through too. But um, not. Not exceptionally, you know, there was my grandfather's passing and then a few, a few years later, um, there was a, a accident in Isaiah's family and two of his very young cousins, like a six-year-old and a 12-year-old died in a car accident. And it was the first time that I'd ever experienced a child's death, mm-hmm. um, at, at all like that close to the family at all you know you hear about things on the news and it doesn't hit you in a way and then you know these kids and then all of a sudden you get that phone call and you're just like wow like and that that was one and, and being a mom on top of that you know our we had two kids at that point and they were pretty young um that was a that was a earth shaker for me like you're not I don't know if you've ever experienced anything close to that, but it's not when, when it's that unexpected and that, you know, one day they're here and the next day they're not. Like it was a very quick, um, very quick day. And it really transformed the way that I appreciate life, appreciate risk and, and chance. Um, not that there's any kind of, mitigating all risk um possible but it was a very there were definitely you know two deaths in in that same moment that were a super hard Mm. you know glimpse at at the brutality or the fragility of life and the brutality of the way things can happen and just this really lack of understanding you know to be you know his his they were his cousin's kids right so cousin cousins i don't know if those are second cousins or how that really works but <laughs> to be his cousins and and to lose you know to lose a six-year-old the baby of your family you know is, is in kindergarten like it makes me look at my kids differently when i send them out for their day or when i leave for the day um mm. you know, every now and then you really you think about it that there's no guarantee that i'll die before them right there's no guarantee that that they you know, won't be in an accident or won't have some sort of crazy childhood disease that hits you at eight years old, you know, like there's no, there's no guarantee for any of this. And so I think that it kind of informs just the premise of all this, that we're on this journey and that we, we have to do right by each day. And and that's some sort of perfect notion, right? But 
that we have the willingness to want to do that, that we want to really do right every day and that we're trying to live our best lives every day. And even though we're not perfect at it, the intentions there and, and that your kids know that your family knows that people that you love know that I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Like that everyday presence. Yeah. And it's not perfect and it's not balanced and half the time it's out of tune too, I'm sure. But like <laughs> the fact that you are and the fact that the people that know you like understand, you know, that you're present and that you're there. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I can't think of any other deaths that have really shaped it. That's fair. That was a that's a decent list. I'm I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you want um I forget exactly the the list that you had. The pizza that I ate before this interview is really starting to slow me down. <laughs> <laughs> so let me think. So you you want to um to sort of kind of get a chance to see the work i don't know what um, let me just ask you what what was that list again like i i mean i started out with like i wanted i want to know what happens like when i die i want to know what happens then right like do you get to fly over the world and like Mm -hmm. see everything you know the spirits floating in the clouds you know do you get to look down from the puppy white clouds and and see everything or do you get to go? Did you watch that movie, What Dreams May Come? Have you ever seen that movie yes. with Rob Williams yes. back in the day? That was one of the first, one of the first ever movies where I was like, oh man, like that's possible. Like that could really happen. And I could go to some other world and be something weird and <laughs> or different. Um, no, that's what I said. I said, do you, do you get to fly all over the world? I really, I really want to, yeah, we're on the be celebrated one, right? Like celebrate, mm-hmm. be celebrated. Mm-hmm. I want my kids to be okay. I want them to understand how I see death, you know, as it's appropriate for them. It's not, it's, uh, it's kind of appropriate for them now. We lost a dog this past fall and he was our first dog. We had him for 13 years. And um, my daughter didn't cry a lick when he passed away and, and we buried him and my husband and I were crying. And um, my son was, my older son was in tears. The two-year-old didn't really, you know, he's, he was not not quite two at the time and he didn't really know but the person who takes it the hardest now so like four or five months later my daughter started crying every now and then randomly and it would be because she missed harper she missed the dog and so she had this really difficulty in school the other day and she came home and she was in tears i just really started thinking about harper and i miss him and you know she's talking about her love of animals that she's she's starting to cultivate and it's it's interesting because when it happened we were out there burying him and we were you know burning a little sage and saying a little prayer and talking about, you know, Harper's spirit gets to go and, you know, choose what he wants to do next. You know, we're kind of like breaking it down into kindergarten terms or mm-hmm. trying to do our best at least. And she's like, Oh, okay. Let's go have hot chocolate. <laughs> like, okay. Let's go have hot chocolate. Um, but now, you know, it comes to her in different ways too. So mm-hmm. yeah. So helping them understand how they see death. And then I guess if it's my passing, when I die, I want, to have them understand how I see it and then I'm I'm embracing it and a little excited for it but not in the way that like I want to hurry it up at all mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm. yeah, yeah that yeah that's delayed grieving is tough yeah it's interesting 
Um, especially in a child, it's interesting to, yeah, just, just see it happen. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, what, uh, what sort of like, uh, sorry, I got distracted, <laughs> got distracted by a dog. Uh, so, um, what, <laughs> what, uh, yeah. And pizza. What do you imagine to happen when you died? Like, have you, do you have any sorts of experiences that can lend you like a, maybe even just a peek into what the death, the the passage from life to death will be like? I mean, I don't. Uh, I mean, other than like movies, <laughs> but everybody does it differently in the movies. No, I don't. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I would hope, right. I would hope that there would be some ancestors there or some like, you know, strong, powerful women or people there to like greet me to the other side and help me understand what's happening. I imagine it'll be, you know, a, a new experience, but then in that, maybe it's not, maybe it's an, maybe it's a familiar experience and you understand it because it's happened to you a dozen times before. And, Mm-hmm. And you remember it now because it's happening. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. But I would hope that there'd be some sort of like welcoming party on the other side that like help you sort of transition to whatever it is that happens. Some <laughs> sort of orientation committee. Yeah. I mean, I'm a people person. I don't like to travel by myself. I don't like exploring <laughs> cities on my own. Like be helpful if I had a, a guide or two to like help me explore death in that way. It'd be fun. Mm. I see. Um, is there anything else you want that when you die? I don't think so. I mean, we can like end up everything on like this money tone with like, I'd love to have a really large retirement account that I'm giving to my kids, but, <laughs> but we don't have to talk about that. It's a very, very no, I don't, side of you. Right, right, right. There's like, I want to take care of the people that I'm leaving behind. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's, I think that's about it. All right. What about how do you finish the prompt uh, after I die? I want. After I die, I want to. I don't know because I don't know what happens when we die, right? Like <laughs> when we die, when I die, I want to understand what it is to die and then what's next. And after I die, I want to fully embrace whatever comes next. You know, I. I would believe, I do believe that we can choose if we come back or not. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, like, do I want to come back again? I don't know what's on the other side. Like how many times have I done this? Like, do you get to know all that after you die? Do you get to like, you know, get a catalog of your past lives and look at how many times you like rode the merry go round? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm good to get off. This is my last one. Or I feel like, I feel like I can come back a few more times and keep getting things more right. I feel like I'm doing pretty good this life. And um, I think I do look at the things that I'm learning in this life. And there are times where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to remember this somehow for my next life. Like this will be a lesson that I really want to like, you know, root into my system and my DNA and my like, spirit molecules in some way so that I remember it in my next life. Mm. I don't know how I guarantee that either. So 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't uh, know. I often that. say that, like, um, I, I would, like, over the next 100, if I live to be 220, I would learn less than if I were to live five years as a, like, Bangladeshi girl living in a slum. And like, right, like, yeah, like the extension of this life is cool, but oh, oh no, sorry, we have a dog and a cat, and they don't like each other very much, and they're both upstairs right now. And I need to figure out a way <laughs> to like not because she's kind of in a corner, so it's like, oh, go, oh gosh, okay, so uh, <laughs> things are tense right now, it's like a Mexican standoff, honey, come here, honey, honey, oh gosh, honey, oh. She bolted. Okay. She she will they be figured out. Yeah, they, they'll figure it out. The cat can hide really well. Oh yeah. Okay. And like, what's the worst that I mean? You don't want her to take out the dog, die. But past that, like a little scratch on a dog is just like a lesson, you know? Exactly. And she needs that lesson. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Anyway, so uh, yeah, the the extension of sorry, the extension of a well, life. It's kind of like letting like, your kid fall in the mud. Like your kid needs to learn what mud feels like and how it feels between their fingers and toes and what it tastes mm-hmm. like. Like every now and then, you gotta let them fall in the mud. Mm-hmm. And she just fell in the mud. As you're, they go crazy up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, the Bangladeshi girl, I think I would learn. So that that idea of being able to like retain that knowledge for the next go around would be, uh, yeah, that I that that's that's scratches an itch. Yeah, definitely. What definitely, about definitely. what about uh, what do you? What do you think about the future? Um, and you can take that as deep as you want. You can take it, you know, for your children, for your grandchildren. You can take it to 10,000 years in the future. You can think about <laughs> as a whole or like just like, you know, Ithaca, New York, like whatever. What, what, what do you think about the future? I don't know. I've been doing a lot of thinking about it actually in the context of, of sort of our environment. And I think... I think a lot of people are lately um, and with good, good cause, good reason. I, I feel like we're at sort of this, this tipping point as a, as a planet and, and not just as a planet as like it's physical being, but then also as a society, as like a, you know, I would, you couldn't even really call us all symbiotic organisms, right? Like our, we're definitely killing our planet and that's not the idea of a symbiotic organism, but mm-hmm. um. I, I just think we're at this sort of tipping point, and I think there are humans and cultures and and ways of being and living that are understanding of this idea and that know how to take care of the planet and that are like calling us as a, us as a larger society and and world culture to do that. And I think there's this sort of antithesis of that that's like pulling everything and sort of this. A catastrophic direction you know whether it's driven by greed or money or power or whatever that you know forces that's making people make some really stupid asinine decisions mm-hmm. um I, I believe we're at a i believe we're at some sort of tipping point um and not like in this year or this span of 10 years but just definitely in this like piece of our history and, and maybe that's a century or so but but I think that we're facing a point of sort of no return and 
you know, whether we live in a, like a Wally type world. Did you ever see that movie? Wally. Yeah. Movie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's crazy and scary, but like also sort of real. And parts of it are kind of coming true already, which is also a little bit scary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're all walking around, at least we're still walking, right? But we all have these little computers in front of us at all times, and we're just pretty oblivious to everything that's happening around us. And you know, at least we're not riding in those motorized carts yet. And mm-hmm. and most of us aren't drastically, drastically overweight, but um, but you can see it happening. And I think I think that's one sort of like kind of scary view of the future and you know, an, an alternate version of it is that we you know, may, maybe even right now, like what's happening to especially us here in the United States currently, like maybe it's waking up enough, you know, teens and 20 somethings to to fire them up to really take control of this again <clears throat> and not saying that at almost 40 we don't have the same power of doing that but um but it's something it's something to be reckoned with when when you see the youth sort of rising up and understanding their role in that and um so, so i'm hopeful for the future i think there's a lot of great things that can come of it i think I mean, I think ultimately the world ends up being quite different than we know it and hopefully for the better. And hopefully it's not because we're like, you know, building, you know, malls and apartments and housing complexes, you know, at 2000 feet in the air because we've destroyed all the natural landscape and fresh water systems that we have. Right. So hopefully it's not out of desperation that we're changing how we live, <clears throat> but but that in desperation that maybe we are in right now that we're changing how we live. So maybe I say that the same way for both, both tenets of the meeting, but I'm, I'm hopeful for it. I'm hopeful that our, our kids will understand the severity of the situation that we're in and that they'll, that they'll make the good changes that are needed to be made that will continue to help them do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. The the it's weird. I keep on mentioning money. I don't know why. The the, <laughs> the statistic that like you know one percent of the world owns is it ninety percent of the wealth or something like that? Crazy now. It's just like it's this astronomical figure, mm-hmm. and it brings me pause because it's just so so that that one percent of the world and there's so many more people and like the rest of us are living pretty happy lives, you know, without all of that, you know, the 90% of the wealth of the world or whatever. And so it it really makes me wonder what, what the next generations will come to value and, and do with it. Right. Well, those still people that are totally just completely money driven and will that continue to stay in that, you know, 500 families in the United States own, whatever 85 percent of the united states is crazy i don't know what the numbers are but mm-hmm. when you think about it in that way and then you think about everybody else that exists and have it has a reasonably happy life it's like well who who's not getting it at this point you know mm-hmm. so i don't know yeah yeah getting a peek into what like 300 years in the future is going to look like was one of my greatest dreams. Like, I don't want to live that long. I just want to see where are things going. Cause uh, yeah, yeah. Like, like you're saying, like, I think we're at a tipping point and I don't think we're going to be able to within our lifetimes really see 
where thing which side's gonna end up on the bottom, which side's gonna end up on top. Truly, yeah, I agree. I agree. I hope that though, also in that, that everybody, I, I hope there's a more wider acceptance and understanding and love of like the power of our planet and the the power of this the like spiritual structure of existence and I hope people can find that and not yeah not be fake news into a different reality right (laughs) yeah do you know like do you have any idea what um would cause like that kind of awakening or that kind of realization in people I mean, I've heard there's some different plant medicines in, in different sub subtropical continents and countries um, that have some effects on people like that. I, I think it's people starting to understand what systems feed what they need, right? The mm. fact that folks, especially in our area, the fact that folks want to frack and put in pipelines and oil pipelines over one of the greatest freshwater systems on the planet is absolutely something that I just can't wrap my head around. And it's not because they might not have very safe practices and things might not work, you know, in a recommended amount of the time, but it's because we're humans and humans make errors and there's nothing that's ever gone perfect in this world. It would make me want to risk or, or make me validate the risk of you know, an entire freshwater system, Mm. you know, that spans especially in upstate New York with the Great Lakes and the Finger Lakes and, you know, all the different rivers and things that feed into it. It's just, it's crazy to me to even roll the dice on something like that. And so, you know, I think, you know, while I've heard and think that there are substances that people can utilize to come to an understanding or, or be in tune with those types of things, I also think people just need to to see cause and effect and and be a little more human uh, you know when it comes to understanding where there's you know plastic bottle of drinking water comes from and what that means for you know the impact of waste and the impact of resources on our on our earth you know mm-hmm. yeah one one um one practice that i i have uh been trying to keep recently is um just being very conscious of everything that I throw away and like whatever it is, if it's a little wrapper of like a little bar that I ate, like was this, was the food that I just ate worth this wrapper that is going to be around for who knows how long or like I make a big meal, but you know, there's a lot of uh, like, there's a couple plastic pieces, there was some styrofoam that, you know, in the end, it's like the amount of waste that came from me making this meal is almost as big as the meal itself. Um, yeah. It, it's one of those things where like, I don't even, I don't know what the right answer is, but at least me being aware of it, I think is like the best that I can do right now. It's definitely a start. <clears throat> and and it's, I mean, as you raise your child and children and as we raise ours, like, you know, my kids ask the question, does this go in the compost, in the trash or in the recycling, right? And we never asked those questions growing up. There was always just trash and then there was recycling and that was pretty novel, you know? And and then my brother lived in Alaska and you should see the things they do with trash up in Alaska, right? And it's just <laughs> like, oh my God, how are you not even recycling on this beautiful, beautiful island? 
um, you know, let alone half the time burning trash and or just sinking it, right? Like there's just, it's crazy what people do around the planet with their, with their waste. Um, and we think we've got it together because we're, you know, shopping and buying all these things that are, like you said, encased in plastic and wrapped with styrofoam and, but we're recycling it or we're throwing it away in an appropriate receptacle and it then leaves and we don't have to deal with it anymore. So yeah, it would be interesting to see the next 50 years, the future. I'm going to do it. I'm going to live 50 years. <laughs> That's reasonable. It's possible. Well, it been- totally possible. <laughs> totally possible. Just not like 10. Like I got to make it more than like, you know, 30, I got to make it more than 30 up to 50, 55. I'll be happy. You know, mm-hmm. is there, um, <laughs> do you like, do you, do you want to like see your kids become parents of their own? Is that like a big milestone for you? Um, I mean, it'd be great, but it wouldn't be something that I would, uh, on them for you know i mm. would definitely want them to, to make the right moves for themselves when they wanted to mm-hmm. um <clears throat> i think yeah i mean i i it was great when i became a mom and my mom was there and you know i could talk with her about that and see the joy in her face and have her remember when we were babies and the stories then that you know i heard about when we were infants were just you know things that you either didn't remember or don't hear growing up, you know, Oh, when you were a baby, you did this and you did that. And and so our babies prompted these other stories out of our parents, which were really interesting and, and neat ways to kind of to bond with them. And then it, it brings you to a different level with your parents too, because you're now, you know, embarking on this huge, huge, huge adventure. Um, and they did it too, you know, and then they can like, you know, oh, when you were a kid, you did this. You know, like when our daughter started throwing temper tantrums at two, and we were like, "What's going on?" Like, oh yeah, you did it too. It was a phase. You know, you grew out of it. So, I think there's there's different like wisdom that comes from your parents when you have kids too. So i'd I'd be I'd be happy to be around um, when they had children mm. if it was the right time for them and if everything was the way they needed it to be. That'd be great. <laughs> Jen, uh, this is, we've been talking for, I think for like a little over an hour now, and it's been a pretty great, I knew you'd be a, a really wonderful guest. Uh, because I was like, Oh, she talks in a really fun way. And I was like, I'm <laughs> really well, I'm really, really, really glad. Um, and uh, thanks. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. And I hope you enjoyed yourself. And uh, I want to give you the last few minutes, last few moments to talk to the audience, uh, who's listening in the future, whether it's, you know, in a couple months when I release it, or maybe it's in a couple years when maybe your children have the, you know, are maybe interested in hearing mom's thoughts on death, um, or maybe oh, it's, wow. uh, you and your next life, uh, what, and whatever wacky internet we're using uh, to listen to it. Uh, just to speak to the audience directly, to, uh, to maybe give somebody a little bit of hope, maybe a little bit of something, who knows? Um, the floor is yours. And then the silence speaks a thousand words. No, I don't know. I, uh, you said my kids listen to this and I was like, Oh man, I should have said like, I don't know what I would have said differently. Um, <laughs> even this moment of like, yeah, maybe my kids do listen to this and maybe other people do listen to this. 
Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, people live and people die. And when you come across death, there's a lot of people that take it super hard and, and really struggle. You know, I see people really struggle with the concept of death and I don't know. I mean, clearly it's, it's everyone's own answer to find, but you know, reworking the story and, and reworking the narrative and, and not just in death, but in many other ways in your life where you can see things differently or you can tell yourself a different story or you can make another thing possible or plausible, you know, it starts to, it starts to shift perspective, right? It starts to be able to help you see a different angle or a different possibility or a, a different thought pattern and with different thought patterns, you know, come a different way of thinking and being. And I think, you know, looking through a positive lens, through a hopeful lens, looking through the lens of possibility and and excitement of what's to come, um, at least in my experience, can only really help frame sort of that better life. I think you you leave a more positive ripple um, in your wake, and and it's something that people, I, I think, and and I think that I've been reflected this is something that people start to notice when you can do that and when you start to do that more as a and not even a practice but just as a part of who you are so on death on living on perspective in life frame it different look at it all all ways and sideways and figure out what makes the most sense right in that heart center that's what i would say i dig it a lot jen thank you so much Big pleasure. Yeah, you're welcome. It was really great to catch up with you, and I'm glad. I'm glad that you're doing this. It's neat to hear the stories and and especially to read all your reflections on your on your work right now. It's really interesting, and I'm so excited that you're going to be a dad and a mom. Tell your beautiful <laughs> wife I say congratulations. Oh, I will. I'll let her know. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. You guys have a good night. You too. This has been Jen Rudolph on death.